You know, just a few minutes ago, Brother Ed sang a song and, and it said that we give you our lives basically to the potter. And the potter and the clay, you mostly know, all of y'all know about that, that, that you know, they could be creating something then within seconds they could just push down and start all over again. And, and however the potter desires the clay to be is what's going to happen. And then they just sing a song and it said, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Come have your way. Before I even get started, let me ask you something. Are you honestly willing to let God have his way in your life today? Because if you're not willing to let God have his way, then all these are going to be is a bunch of words. But if you're willing to allow God to have his way in your life today, as we just sang God's going to do something mighty in this place. Now, before we even get started, I, I have to share with you all, first off, um, I think that I'm like breaking some cardinal rule wearing this color suit after Labor Day. I don't know if that's a rule or not. Um, but the other suit that I wore last week, the rental agreement was up, so I had to turn it in. This is the only other suit that I have, and um, I apologize for those. I'm just kidding. I do have that other suit, but I figured that if I was going to wear two suits and I only have two, then I better wear the other one so that... I don't look like the same person. Hey, I want to I want to close up a few tight ends, uh, a few ends, whatever, however you want to say it, whatever the proper wording is from last week. First off, God is so big. God is so powerful, and He still reigns on the throne. And let me tell you something: what happened here last week can happen across America. Because that's the same God that sits here today, that was here last week, that lives in America, if we would just call on the name of Jesus Christ. I want to ask, but, but I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of you had victory in Jesus Christ this past week simply because you called on the name of Jesus Christ? I want to share just a few things and then we'll jump into what we're going to walk through the Beatitudes. But one thing God really pressed on my heart last week is um, Friday before I got here on Saturday or before we, Sunday before we taught on Sunday, I had all these like great notes and I was ready to teach and I was going to teach on the miracles of God. I was going to go through the Old Testament miracles, the New Testament miracles, and then the apostles and the miracles of the apostles. And obviously if you were here last week, you realized that um, I didn't preach on that. Um, BD typed up my notes on Friday and told me on Monday that I didn't preach anything that I had typed up. I got into my office at my house on Saturday and God just began to change everything. Now I'm talking like, I've known that I was preaching on this for like four weeks. So for four weeks, I'm like, man, if I've got four weeks to prepare a sermon, it's going to be awesome. And God gave me a day, Saturday. But let me tell you what he did. On Saturday, he changed my message from seeking the miracles of God to seeking the God of miracles. If I would have preached on the miracles of the king, we would have all been here like, man, God is awesome. And that man, we want that miracle. We want a miracle. And that's awesome. But what happened is, is that preaching on the power of the name of Jesus, instead of going to the miracles, we seek the God who can perform mighty miracles. The other thing I want to share just to kind of wrap up last week is this. God moves in many different ways. Many different ways. 
I shared with you last week about a man who prayed for me and I felt the fire of God just come into my soul. And I'm talking like in my chest and it was crazy. For those who who weren't here last week, I'd love to share with you later. But I felt literally a fire in my chest. But what I don't want to happen is that you to put God in a box and say that's the only way he moves. And if I don't feel a fire from God, then I've missed something because that's not the case. If you go throughout scripture, you see that God moves in many different ways, including in the stillness of the moment. Y'all remember when they were in the, or when he was in the cliff and the wind went by and all this stuff went by and all of a sudden it was in the stillness of the moment that God showed up. So I don't want anybody to, to place God in a box and say, okay, God, if I don't see you move in a visual way or if I don't feel something, then, then maybe he didn't move. No, God moves in many different ways. And let me tell you something. If he is as powerful as he was to heal me from myasthenia gravis, he's as powerful as he wants to move in any way that he desires. So I want to challenge you to begin to seek God, not just in one certain way, but to allow God to move however He desires because He knows what's best in your life. He knows what's best for you. And He's going to do that for you. I believe it. Now, I always start with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want to share this with you. Verses 4 and 5, it's my life verse, so I always read it. The one time I didn't, it was the worst sermon of my life. So I learned my lesson. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Let us pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And God, today, may it be your power that falls in this place. May it be your power that speaks. May it be your words, your words of wisdom, God, Lord, I pray that it will be all about you and you alone. Lord, we believe it, and we ask you to move in a powerful way today, God. Speak to us. Show us what you have for us, God. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, I was going to preach what I did last week, this week, and Brother Fred, who listens to God in a, I mean, I feel like he is literally 24-7 in prayer with the king. He is amazing, serving the king of kings. And he told me, he said, David, I'm not going to be here on the 18th, but I don't want you to preach that on the 18th. I want you to preach on the 11th because I want to be here to help when the power of God shows up like that. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, you have big expectations You know what God taught me from last week? Don't preach on the power of God unless you're ready for the power of God to move. Today we're going to talk about the Beatitudes. I was going to walk through all eight of them, but but we just don't have time for that. And all of y'all would be like watching your watches. So uh, we're going to do the first four today. If you have your scripture, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Most of you know the Beatitudes. A lot of you know them by heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Or we can start with verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Some of your Bibles say meek. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Did you see that as we, and, and Brother Ed knew that I was preaching on the Beatitudes, but not really that I was going to zone in on the fourth one. But what we sang about today was talking about a hunger for righteousness. Thirsting and desiring for righteousness. Which I, I always think is really cool when God decides that he's going to do something like that. Give Brother Ed uh, what to sing on and it's perfectly in tune with what God has given in our hearts. The first one, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You know, I always struggled with the idea that blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I always said, okay, God, don't you want to be like, don't you want me to be mighty in spirit? Mighty in the fact that, that you reign and you're the king and, and, and like, I just, I just don't get it. So I finally decided to do a study, a, a Greek and Hebrew word study of poor in spirit. And when I studied the word poor in spirit, what I found out is that the Greek form of poor in spirit means to be broken. To know that you have nothing to offer, the opposite of pride. So for us to be poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor in spirit, we have to be broken. Now what would we be broken over as believers? The things maybe that has nailed our Savior to the cross? Maybe we should be broken over the things that take away from the divine relationship that God's given us? You know, I consider sin this. To me, sin is anything that taints, distracts, or puts a barrier between me and my God. That's what I call sin. Now, I know that the word sin means to miss the mark. And I understand that it's like an archer's term, that when he shoots his bow and arrow and he misses the bullseye, then he has created a sin. My fear, though, sometimes in, in, in saying that is that people, I think it's a great example, it's very true, but sometimes we can say that we, it could almost turn into a form of legalistic view by saying, you know, if I don't hit the mark perfectly, then I have sinned. My interpretation of sin is anything that, that taints or takes away or puts a blocker between me and the Almighty God. Anything. It can be things that are good. You remember as it says in the scripture that, hey, just because things are, right for, are, are good for you don't mean they're necessarily right for you. Things that, 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 that might be okay doesn't mean that it's necessarily something that you need to go down that path. It doesn't have to just be these typical things that we consider sins can be a lot more stuff. God has called us. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are broken. Those who come to the end of their line and say, you know what? I am nothing. Louis Giglio says it best. If God is I am, then I am not, right? He even has little stickers that you can put on your thing. It says, hello, I am not. Because if God is the Almighty, if God is everything, if He is the great I Am, the big, uh, huge, amazing God that, that sits on the throne that is in control of all things, then we are nothing, right? Without the power of Jesus Christ. Psalms thirty four eighteen. if you'll flip on the slide for me, it says this, The Lord is near to the broken heart and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Go to the next slide for me. Psalms 51. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
That's actually Psalms 51, verse 17. This is one of my favorite psalms in all of chapter, or in all of the Bible, really, one of my favorite books, um, or chapters, Psalms 51. It is the cry of King David after he has um, committed adultery, after he had committed a sin that created a barrier between him and the Almighty God with Bathsheba. And obviously now he has, um, you know, he's tried to fix it in every way possible. He's tried to lie about it. He's tried to manufacture a situation that would create Bathsheba to think, or excuse me, her husband Uriah to think that she was pregnant by him. And finally, it committed, he committed murder. All the situation was fine, right? But David wasn't living with a broken spirit, was he? He took care of the situation by killing Uriah, but David was not living with a broken spirit. Instead, he was saying, okay, I've got this taken care of. How many of us in our lives say, we can take care of it, God. We've got it under control. Let me tell you something. That's called pride. You know, the hardest thing for a guy to accept salvation in the king is laying down a, guy, a man's pride. This society has created us to think that it is all about what we can offer. Pride is at the center of this culture. David comes and and cries out in Psalms 51. Go home and read Psalms 51. But he cries out here. It says the sacrifice of God. And right before he says this, excuse me, he says that God, you don't desire in a burnt offering or I'd give it to you. What you want is my heart to be broken. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What you desire is a contrite heart, O God. You will not despise it. Flipping your Bibles to Luke 18. Not too long ago, we, we, uh, Brother Fred preached on this. Luke 18, verse 9. This is a parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. He said, And he also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And he viewed others with contempt. And they viewed others with content. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. I fast. By the way, this is the Pharisee talking. And like, can I just like kind of do this like in like a stage performance? By the way, I'm not like an actress or anything. But I just, this is what I see. I fast twice a day, God. But the tax collector, or excuse me, he says, I fast twice a day. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing over here some distance away, he hasn't done this. It says in verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulteries, or even that tax collector right there. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. And I love this, verse 13. But the tax collector standing some distance away was not even willing, was unwilling to lift up his eyes to the heavens, but was beating on his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Flip to the next screen for me. The Pharisees, and some of y'all are the Pharisees, excuse me, in this, was religious judgmental, boastful, arrogant. 
and worked for his salvation. Did you hear what he said? I've done all these things, God. And praise God, I'm not like the sinner. The tax collector was broken spirited. He was humbled. Understood that he was nothing and he was justified. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit means that you know that you are nothing without Christ. It is the point of salvation. When you come to the point that you know that you are nothing, that you are broken over who you are in light of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, guess what you have? You have nothing to offer. And God says, that's where I come in. It's the point of salvation. Now, the next beatitude is blessed are the mercy, I mean, those who mourn. Now, I think it's interesting that it's right after the poor in spirit because what are we supposed to mourn? What are we supposed to mourn? Those things that have separated us from the kingdom? Go to the next slide for me. In James um, chapter 4, verse 6 and 10, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Keep going for me. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Blessed are those who mourn. So it's right for us to mourn over the things that have separated us from the kingdom. Now, the reason that I kind of wanted to go into the Beatitudes today is because we kind of saw the first two last week. We saw a lot of us broken over the things in our lives. We came down... Or, or whether it was down here, whether it was there, whether it was at home, wherever it was, there was mourning. And what happened after mourning? There was comfort. Why? Because the King of Kings still reigns on high. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are we supposed to mourn over? The things that have broken our heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It also says in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, and I just put uh, verse 2 on the screen here for you. Paul rebukes the church of Corinth for not mourning. Go to the next one for me. It says, you have become arrogant and have not mourned. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, you see that in verse 1, they are mourning, or they were supposed to mourn over the immorality that had entered into the church. God's tell, or Paul, God telling them, speaking through Paul, is saying, you should be mourning over the things that have taken over the church. And it's not me, it should be me, so you should be mourning over it. And God will comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn. If you also, another scripture, and I don't have this on the PowerPoint over here, or the keynote, but Ezekiel chapter 9 Go home and read Ezekiel chapter 9. It will rock your world in the idea of mourning. It's okay for us to mourn. We're supposed to. We're supposed to mourn over the things that are separating us from the kingdom of God, and God will comfort us. But then it goes on and it says, Blessed are those who are meek. Meek means gentleness. It actually means to, in the Greek, it says it's humble or middle standing between. Now, I struggled with this. I was like, middle standing between. Okay, what does this mean? And so I started to really pray, and God showed me that in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, who was high above all, came down, humbled himself, and he was under the authority of who? 
God, right? So when we are broken over our, our, our state of mind that we have completely ran away from the kingdom of God and we mourn over the things that have taken us and away from the kingdom and that have put Christ on the cross, when we mourn those things, we're comforted and then guess what? We find ourselves placing ourselves under the authority of God. We humble ourselves. We find ourselves in meekness under the authority of God. We have to allow ourselves to be placed under the authority of God. This morning, and, and there was a pastor uh, who shared this about three, four, five, six weeks ago, something like that, and he shared this, and this morning it all came back to light to me. I was driving down Solly Road, headed to church, and uh, if you know, Solly Road is 40 miles an hour. That's really hard to do. Really hard to do. I'm coming down Solly, and all of a sudden, I see this white car that's got these nice little blue lights on the top poke its little nose out of one of the uh, um, neighborhoods. And I was like, no. Immediately, immediately, my behavior changed. I looked down, and I'm like, I'm doing like 53 miles an hour. I didn't even realize it. I didn't know a Honda Civic, you know, that it went that fast. Which is what I drive, and I love it, by the way. Anybody who's Honda Civic drivers, that's awesome. I love them. But all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no. And I see that, and I'm like, I'm hitting my brakes real hard. And then I'm like, well, I don't want to go all the way down to 40 because he's going to recognize a huge difference in my speed. So maybe I'll do like 42 and put it on cruise control. Here's what happened. That officer had authority over me. I was under his authority, wasn't I? He could have pulled me over, which he didn't, praise God. I was under his authority. He had authority over me, and it changed my behavior immediately. A lot of people say that they are under the authority of God, but it doesn't change anything in their lives. Now, the sad part of the story is, is that as soon as I saw him turn off, I wasn't under his authority anymore, so I thought in my mind and got back up like 45. I was still scared. I was somewhat under the authority. Just slowly creeping back up. I was under his authority and my behaviors in life immediately changed. So how often do we cry out and say that we are under the authority of God and that we want to live under the authority of God, but we don't change anything in our life? Now, there's a lot of scripture, and, and Philippians chapter 2 is kind of where I want to stay at with, with blessed are the meek. But you also can see with the Roman centurion. You remember how he came up and he said, listen, um, I need you to come heal somebody. Or I need, uh, there's somebody that I need to be healed by you. And, and Jesus says, okay, let's go. And he said, no, listen, I am a man who has authority. And I also am under authority. And I recognize that you have authority. So you don't even have to show up. All you've got to do is say it and it's done. God has called us to be broken hearted. Poor in spirit. To mourn over the things that have, that have completely separated us from the kingdom of God and from his divine relationship and then he's called us to be meek and to find ourselves under the authority of God and it will change your behavior immediately. 
first thing that it should change is you should find yourself crying out to the King of Kings for the brokenness that you see in this world. You should see the things in your life begin to change more like the King. You should look more like Him. What does it say? Let your light shine in such a way that they will see your good works and glorify who? The King. When you find yourself under the authority of God. Let me tell you something. I have one of the most exciting jobs in the world. Because all i got to do is find myself under the authority of God, study the Word of God, and present it. God's my authority. Now the last one that I want to kind of go into is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now when you find yourself under the authority of God, how do you learn more about the authority of God? But by hungering and thirsting for the Word of God, for righteousness. King David did it. Go to the next slide for me. Go on and go to. Oh God, you are my God and I shall seek you earnestly. My soul will thirst for you. My flesh will yearn for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Go to the next slide. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I muse on the work of your hands. I stretch out my hand to you. My soul longs for you in a parched land. Psalms 143, 5 and 6. King David hungered and thirsted for righteousness that he may know the king. Moses did it in Exodus chapter 33, verse 13. It says, Now therefore I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your way. That, let me know your way that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Moses says that I may know you. How many of you desire here to know Jesus? To know the King? You know, it starts with brokenness. It starts with mourning. Then you find yourself under the authority of God and then you begin to hunger and thirst. How many of y'all have never, have gone like two or three days without eating? Some by fasting, some by not your choice. You just forgot to eat or something. And all of a sudden, your stomach's just, you know, you start hearing, like, these noises. And then you become, like, really, like, like weak. And you start thinking, man, I just got to get something in my stomach. I'm going to be honest with you. When I find myself engrossed in the Word of God, it's almost like, and, and I, I don't even like to, to, to use this, but, but it's a, the best way I can describe it, it's like when I'm st- Starving to death at a buffet and I just, it just keeps coming. Because the word of God is so powerful. Even in this study, when it's said that God will exalt those that have poor spirits, that are poor in spirit, God will exalt them. I go back to Isaiah, or, in, or excuse me, in Ezekiel, where it talks about how Satan was cast down. Why? Because he tried to lift himself high. I go back to Philippians and it says that Jesus was lifted high. Why? Because he humbled himself. The scriptures, when you pull a cord at one end, will go all throughout from Genesis to Revelation. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you find yourself daily at the throne room of God, studying the word, wanting to know the word. Why? Because you want to know the authority of God so that you can place yourself perfectly in line with it. And you also want to know the power of God. See, so often we become Christians who just walk our day, day in and day out, 
powerless because we have not studied and, and desired and hungered and thirst to know the Word so that we know the power that lives inside of us. Paul says it best in Philippians 3, 7-14, through 14, and I want to read this to you. I lost my, my place. It slid out. I'm doing my Bible drill in my head. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. What was that? Go eat popcorn. Hey, put it in a child at a young age and he will remember it. It says in chapter 3, verse 7, Paul, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More that I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them to be rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own um, derived from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And I love verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But why does he, what does he do so that he may know it? He counts all things as loss, as rubbish, because he realizes that now he's not under the authority of the world, but he is under the authority of the king. And the king says, hey, you put all that aside and let me fill you daily. He says, you put all that aside and let me be the power that lives inside of you. You become broken over the things that distance yourself from me and let me fill you every day so that you may know the power of His resurrection. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? See, I really believe that God put this on my heart. And Brother Fred and I were talking on Monday and Tuesday, just really, really seeking, you know, God, what do you desire for us to teach on? Or what do you desire for me to teach on um, on the 18th? And both of us began to talk about the Beatitudes. Because last week we really did, there was so much spiritual healing going on in this place. The problem in America in church is that we have created, across America in the church, we have created an atmosphere that if you go down to the front and pray, or if you are crying or weeping in your seat, or if God moves inside of you, then something was wrong with you. We've created a sense of arrogance. We've created a sense of judgmentalness. We've created an idea that you're supposed to be perfect when you walk into the church and you're supposed to wear your suit, which I, I like the suit, by the way. But we're supposed to wear what, what looks great so when we walk in there, it's like we have no issues whatsoever. But when you find yourself under the authority of God, God says you put all that as rubbish. Let me tell you something. Across America, we see people saying that they're fearful in a church because they've got problems. And I said, yeah, you're right. We all have problems. They're fearful to walk into a church because they're fearful that if God moves or something in their heart and they go to the altar and they pray that people will think, oh, what's wrong with that person? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's called the world. It's called sin. 
We all have it. We all have it. We all struggle with it every day, day in and day out. The flesh will come after us. But God says, find yourself under the authority of God, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what does it say? You shall be filled. You shall be filled. You know, when I was struggling and going through the disease that, that for the three years that, that I went through it, God taught me about manna. He said, every day I will give you the manna that you need for tomorrow. But you've got to find yourself under the authority of God. I remember the time when, when I was first going through the disease and, and we couldn't figure out what it was and I was um, singing, a song came on and it was, Oh no, you never let go. You never let go. And, and the bridge of that song says, I can see a light that is coming for the whole world to see. There will be an end to these struggles. But until that day comes, I shall praise you. We have to find ourselves under the authority of God. Blessed are the meek. And then we have to find ourselves hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But that cannot occur until you get to the point that you are broken over the things that are in your life. And that you're not fearful of what the world thinks of you. And that you lay it down at the altar and you find yourself whole and complete. And then you find yourself under the authority of God. Praise God. That's the only authority that I want to be under. The only authority that I desire to be under. But praise God that he's also granted us other authorities in this earth that he is over as Brother Fred is my authority. So to close and wrap all this up, are you broken over the struggles and the sins and the things that so easily entangle you in your life? Are you poor in spirit? Are you broken over it? Do you mourn? Do you find yourself truly coming before the king saying, God, please forgive me for the things that I have done that have separated this divine relationship? Do you humble yourself under the authority of God or do you think that you can still do it on your own? And do you truly hunger and thirst? Do you wake up daily trying to find yourself in the Word of God? Or do you allow the time of this world, as in all the great things that you can fill your life with? You know, if I was talking to students, I would talk about different things like the Xbox and school activities and um, just hanging out with friends and movies and all this. But talking to a group that is a multi-generational in front of me, maybe it's work that you are so engrossed in work that you can't find the time to truly get on your face before the king under his authority studying the word of God. Maybe it's extracurricular activities that you've placed. Maybe it's even children that you are, are, are around. Let me tell you something. Your children need to see you hungering and thirsting for the king. That's way more important than them seeing you at their baseball game. Now, I want you to go. I want you to be there. But what has Satan had put in our lives to create an idea that everything's going great, but in reality, it's just soaking up time for us to fall in love with the King of Kings. Time is the one thing that's so precious that once it's gone, we can never get it back. And God desires us to hunger and to thirst after righteousness, daily finding ourselves in the Word, getting rid of the things that are taking so much time and keeping us from truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness.